Hey, good morning. The top of the morning to you, as we say on the movies. We don't say that back home. That's, that's for the tourists. We, we say, what's the story? So that's, well, that's, you know, so you look at someone and say, what's the story? Go on. Yeah. And in Dublin, we break down words like so. We used to say, what's the story? No, we, this is it. What's the story? You have to do the head. What's the story? And then we get rid of two of the words. Like, so we just go now, story. <laughs> now we got rid of story and we just go. It's true. It means how are you, what's going on, all that stuff. And uh, yeah, you know what? It's great to be here. Just, we've had a great time in the last um, two weeks, is it? And uh, being with Brad and Beth. You know, do you notice every time I go Brad and, and I pause? Do you notice that? Because last year I kept saying Brad and... What's your name? Brad and Ting up in Boulder. Anyway, Brad and Julie. And I kept saying Brad and Julie, and I'm like, no, it's Brad and... Because I know a Brad and Julie. But it turns out you know Brad and Julie. The same couple that I was... So every time I go Brad, I go... Bet. Because <laughs> I don't want to say Julie again and get into trouble. Last time I said a bet, hit me across the head. <laughs> Only joking, she didn't. And, uh, but we've had great food. Being on an airplane with Ron and being over, through the, over the arch and under the arch and visit the arch and uh, <laughs> ate our puppies and had some amazing food. And honestly, the other day, I was full up to there. I couldn't even drink a drop of water. I was like, I'm too full. I'm just, just had some great food. And one of the things that I noticed that America is leading the way in is, is bathrooms. Like, I have to say, like, because, like, you go into different bathrooms and airports and, and restaurants and houses and churches and whatever, and I don't know what to do anymore. Some of them you go like that to get the water, <laughs> you know? Then, like, you do the elbow to get the, 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 the hand dryer, and now it's like, I don't know what to do with, that, with the towels. I'm like, ooh, 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 ooh. I'm like, someone comes in and thinks you're taking an epileptic fit or something, like, you're like... Well, you're doing really well. You're doing really well in technology. <laughs> but uh, it is honestly a great week. I had a great time. Um, just, just, just thank you for loving us and celebrating us. That's a word that Brad used. Sometimes you come away and you're celebrated in places that people don't even know you. And we really appreciate that. And, and you know, the amount of people that has come up. My daughter, Rebecca, was here over Thanksgiving and her and her husband, and the amount of people, they live in Michigan, but the amount of people that has come up and says, we love your daughter, Becky. I don't know what he's done with Greg, but anyway, you love Becky and, uh, and, and Greg. But like, I don't know what she's done, but I just want to say thank you. That is really, you know, so amazing to hear about your daughter. I don't know what she's done. I don't even know whether she said anything. I don't know, what, but, but, um, but thank you very much. And we're going to get into God's word, amen? amen? Father, we just thank you for your goodness and your grace to us. Thank you for your word of God that builds us up, Lord, that strengthens us, that heals us, that delivers us, Lord. And we just say, yes, Jesus, will you just walk in to every circumstance, every situation, every promise. Would you just walk in, Lord, and just declare that you're here. 
for each one, Lord, as an individual and yet us collectively, Lord. Would you make it so, so intimate, Lord, that you would knock at the door of our heart and say, that's me. And we open up to you, Lord, and we say, you're welcome. We roll out the red carpet, Jesus. And we say, come on in, Lord. Speak to my heart. Heal my heart. Free me up, Lord. Set me on the course that you have for my life. Amen. Amen. I'm sure like you've, you've, you've probably read the Purpose Driven Life book. Do you remember that was really, really popular? 40 million sales. And, and it touched on a, on a, I guess, a heartstring of the church. And, and, uh, and it became a bestseller worldwide. And uh, because people really want to know what the purpose, their purpose is in life. And I've met people over my year, years as leaders, as a leader, over 27 years, that, um, that people get freaked out about the purpose of God for their lives, the will of God, what's God's vision for my life. And sometimes people get so freaked out about this stuff that they even stop hearing God because they're hearing all the doubts, they're, they're so frustrated, they keep on asking God and asking God, and God doesn't seem to be saying anything at that moment. So we ask other people and we have voices everywhere coming in to the point where we don't even know what God wants for us. And I believe that in the scriptures that Jesus shows us both in the Old Testament and the New Testament, that we are shown that what our purpose is in life, our number one priority, the one that we should give everything that we have to. And by doing the first thing, I believe that God opens up and creates moments so that we are walking ultimately in his plan for our lives. He is committed to us. He is committed to his word that he has given to us. He is committed to his, his promises. He, is, he has a fully-fledged commitment to what he says. And, um, and if we will walk it out, he will work it out. If we just set our hearts to walk this out, he promises and the scripture shows that he will get us to our destination. Listen to what Jesus says is our purpose in life. Mark 12, 28. It says, One of the teachers of the law came and heard them debating. Noticing that Jesus had given them a good answer, he asked him, Of all the commandments, which is the most important? What is the top priority in the commandments? Jesus answered, The most important one is, is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind and all your strength. The second is this, love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than this. Jesus gets this from Deuteronomy 6. He quotes from the Old Testament. And the Old Testament um, is no different than the New Testament in this about loving the Lord your God. But listen how much God wanted to, to be in the fabric of the people of the, of, of the community of people, of the nation of Israel. He wanted it in the fabric, not just of them, but of their children, the children's children. He wanted us to get this really, 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 really deep. And Jesus quotes, that's what Jesus quoted back. But here's what um, Deuteronomy 6, 1 to 12 says. These are the commandments, these are the commands, decrees, and laws the Lord your God directed me to teach you to observe in the land that you are crossing the Jordan to possess. Moses is delivering this. So that your children and their children after them fear the Lord your God as long as you live by keeping all his decrees and commands that I give you. And so that you may enjoy long life. Now hear Israel and be careful to obey 
so that it may go well with you and that you may increase greatly in the land flowing with milk and honey. Just as the Lord your God of your ancestors promised you, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. These commandments that I give today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the roads. When you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your forehead. Write them on the door frames of your house and on your gates. When the Lord your God brings you into the land, he swore to your fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to give to you a land with large flourishing cities you did not build, houses filled with all kinds of good things you did not provide, wells you did not dig, and vineyards and olive groves you did not plant. Then you will eat, and you are satisfied. But be careful that you do not forget who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. That Jesus quotes this because he was asked the question. I'm going to tell you the purpose for our lives is to love the Lord our God. With all of our heart and all of our strength and all of our mind and everything that is within us, both inside and outside, demonstrating that we love the Lord. And I love the way it's put in Deuteronomy. He's saying that this is so important. Write it down. Bind it on your hands. Write it on your doorpost. Tell your children when they get up in the morning, when you're walking along the road, and impress it on your children and your children's children that the most important thing is not ministry. It's not possessing land. It's loving God. And he says that when you do that, that when you impress this, when you lift this out, when we show our children the greatest living example of loving God with all of our hearts and our minds that our children will have is us. We are their storybook. We are the one. They will look and say, I want, I want my kids to say, I want to love God and serve God the way mom and dad does. That's the greatest testimony that we could ever have in our lives. He says, get this into the fabric of you, your community, your city, the nation, the future. Get it in so that it may go well with you. That it may, you may prosper. You may live in cities that you didn't build. Drink from wells that you didn't dig. Taste of the vineyard that you didn't plant. And he says then at the end, that when this all happens and you're satisfied, do not forget The reason why he said it, the reason why Jesus um, emphasizes it is because we have a habit of forgetting. God gives us a city and we love the city more than him. God gives us a business and we end up loving the business more than him. That what he blesses us with, we have a tendency to forget and love the one who blessed us with it. We get gifts and we think more of the gifts than we do of the giver of the gifts. And he's constantly looking, when you're satisfied, you will prosper. You will be blessed. Your children will be blessed. But don't forget to love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your mind and all your soul and all of your strength so that it may go well with you. Jesus demonstrated throughout his life the importance of relationship with Father. It says in Luke 4, 42, that at daybreak, Jesus went to a solitary place while the people were looking for him, and when they came to where he was, they tried to keep him from leaving there. Jesus demonstrated that the most important thing in his life 
was what his father wanted. His relationship. Do you remember he says, I don't do anything. Say anything. We're out hearing from my father. He was telling us that this is the most important thing. And if we love the Lord our God, if we just go about, I don't know about you, but when I became a believer, I was 22 years of age. I felt like the world was on my shoulders. I, was, I felt like I was 180 years of age. The community that I lived in had been devastated with heroin. That people that we loved, people that I hung out with, people that I went to school with, people that I smoked drugs with at times, people that I, I, I was supposed to go to school with but never got to school with. And all types of things were all being devastated between HIV, AIDS, and drugs. When we, when we, when we were told the gospel, we didn't need religion. Religion wouldn't have done it for us. Some set of rules like, like love the Lord your God or, or, you're, or you're damned. That wouldn't have done it for us. But my friend came in and he told us about the love of God and the purpose of God and the plan of God for our lives. And we responded to this. I didn't get converted. I didn't join a new church. I didn't join a religion. I fell in love with Jesus. It was that love encounter. That all the rules and religion in the world wouldn't have moved me one bit. But he moved me. I was in their sitting room one night. And I was listening to a tape of a young man from Dublin called Terry Arnold singing a song. The, the three songs on the tape, it was back in the day as a tape. The kids are saying, Dad, what's a tape? <laughs> Brad, what's a tape? <laughs> the last song on it, three songs, last song called Man of Sorrows. I'm in the sitting room. I was in addiction. I had Sharon, my wife, and my little girl, Patrice. I'd become the most selfish person that I knew because everything was about me. And my friend tells me about the love of God and about John 3.16 and Jeremiah 29. Boom. I thought God was for good people until I heard that whoever believes like, wow, I'm a whoever. I thought God had plans for good people. But God was declaring to have a plan for your life. And I listened to this song. The last words of the last song was called, the song was called Man of Sorrows. And it said this, like a lamb they let him out. And not a word came from his mouth. And he cried out from the hill of Calvary. And on a little square tape recorder, probably size that iPad. And when I heard those words, I started to cry. And I'm like, what am I crying for? Played them again. Sharon was looking at me going, what's wrong with him now type of thing? Played it again. Like a lamb, they let him out. Not a word came from his mouth. And he cried out from the hill of Calvary. And I don't know whether I heard this in my head or in my ear or in my heart. But I heard God saying, I died on a cross for you now because I love you. And a barrier broke in my life. That love had penetrated my whole life that I could not stop crying. I couldn't, my brain, my mind was going, if your, like I've ten brothers and four sisters, and here was in my mind, if your brothers know that you're crying, you're dead me. Worse, if your sisters know you're crying, that's, you're dead me. But nothing could, with no thoughts, no fear could, with, or, or nothing could withstand the love of God that I felt. I fell head over heels in love with Jesus. We used to sing a song. I don't know whether it was here. Or maybe it came from here. 
I keep falling in love with him over and over, over and over again. He gets sweeter and sweeter as the days go by. Oh, what a love between my Lord and I. I keep falling in love with him over and over again. Love brings you to places that duty will never bring you. You will stop things and do things because love has penetrated our hearts. And in all of the time that God, that we're loving God, he creates moments. Our purpose is to love God. And out of loving God, he creates moments of destiny. That he opens doors, brings you into situations, brings people into your life. That all of a sudden you're living out of a destiny that God had already planned for your life. That before the foundations of the earth, he knew us had something assigned to our lives to, to bring about into this world. And we're loving God and we're loving God. Don't get freaked out about his will. Just love him. Don't get freaked out about being healed or not being healed. Just love him. Just keep loving him. And he create the moments, bring the right people into our lives at the right time to be able to release us into another step into our destiny. Look at David, one of my, one of my favorite characters of the Bible. And he's a little boy minding sheep. He was the eighth son. So in one set of eyes, he was outside of the perfect number. And he's out there and he's writing songs, loving on God. If you're a poet or a writer or an artist or just a creative person, I want to tell you your greatest downloads would come when you're loving God. Your greatest songs will come. I was talking to a man after service. I can't remember his name. I think it's Neil Kennedy or something. And um, I was talking to him afterwards, and he says, wow, you just confirmed something for me. He got, he's out, he got his best business ideas in this church or in church when he was worshiping. And he used to say to the Lord, Lord, I leave the, need to leave business outside. I'm in church worship. But it was in that moment of intimacy that he was open to receive like, things that God wanted him to do. And so it's, it's David's loving God. God is speaking to the prophet Samuel. And God says, I'm finished with Saul. Saul hadn't got a heart after God. I'm telling you what's in the dog is in the pups. When you see David loving God going into Jerusalem, Saul's daughter resented David from loving on God. I'm like, how important is this stuff? What was in Saul was in his daughter. And David is just loving on God, downloading songs and all types of things. He has victories in the private place when the bear comes and the lion comes. He has, he, he's experienced God there, that his experience in the private place, loving God, was going to carry him into a place when he was in a public set. God makes us in the private. He makes us out of intimacy. And while David's there, Samuel comes down, and he's like, God spoke to him to go to a place, and he went there, and he goes into, into Jesse's house, and all the brothers pass by, and he's looking at the talents and the strengths and the, and the way they look, and he's like, yeah, he's the one, he's the one. And God's like, uh-uh, Samuel, I don't look on the outside. That's why he says in the scriptures, it's more than lip service. You can, look, you can sound you love him with your lips, and your heart can be fired away from him. He's saying to Samuel, I'm looking for someone whose heart is after me. I'm looking for someone who has nothing but me. He says to Abraham, Abraham, I'm your reward. He says to the Levites, to the priests, they didn't get land, they got God. Wow. 
And, and, and David, is, 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 they all go boy, and the, and the completion, the seven went boy, and he says, is there, is there no one else? Well, there's David, the eighth son. Where some sees he's outside of the completion, God looks at him and says, I'm starting a new cycle. I'm doing something new. I'm turning my back on something that's old. You know when God says that, that, behold, I'm doing a new thing. The word means that God has actually turned his back on the old thing. So we can't stay in an old season where God's face is not towards us. We have to move into the new season where his face is shining upon us. And David is out there and he gets called in. I love some of the parts of the Bible. You know what Samuel says, well, we're not going to sit down until he comes. I read that and go, wow, I hope he wasn't a couple of miles away. That's a long stand waiting on someone to come. When David comes in, he anoints him to be king. David is loving God. And an opportunity for him to be, to be, to be, to be given a moment of destiny. Oil being poured on him. And then we'll see a little bit later that he's actually been anointed as king over Israel. He's loving God, moments of destiny, and then he's in the plan of God before you know it. And you know what happens, don't we? He's, he's now he's like, if that would have been me, I'm like, I'm like the second youngest of like the boys. If I would have been anointed king of my city, I'd be like, okay, dad, you sit down. King Noel is here. I'm my alias. Neil is here. I probably would have said to my brothers, because when you're the second youngest, you know, shut up. You're like, all you boys, sit down. Not with David. He was sent back out to mind the sheep. He was sent back out to love God. He was sent back out to his priority. The kingship wasn't his priority. That was God's purpose and God's plan. His purpose was to love God. His purpose. And here's a few things for us. It's that one, he was under authority. Now, if you want to fulfill the full plan of God for your life, you have to walk under a father. You have to walk under covering of a household. Do you ever get people, oh, God has called me, and, and they run out into the world, and you don't hear from them again? David listened to a father. So when you go back out and mind the sheep, God will get you to your vision. So his dad says to him, he was able to take orders. His dad gave him some bread and cheese to bring up to his brothers when the battle line was drawn with, with the Philistines when Goliath was coming out. Chapter 17. He was someone who knew how to take orders. He was someone who was, first of all, working. I don't believe God is going to give his ideas and plans to lazy people. I really don't. Because they'll just be like that with his plans and purposes. If, if you look in the scriptures, there's nobody that was lying on a, on a bale of hay going, just waiting on the Lord. They were working. They were doing something. And God says, now I can use you. I can give you something because you'll be faithful with that. You'll be faithful with this. And then David gets sent to win all the story. God opens a moment of destiny again for him because he was under orders. He was under covering. He goes up, his brothers say this, which my brothers would have saying, are you here to look at the fight? That's what they said to him. Go home. You have, to be, you have to be wise in who you listen to. Because if he would have listened to somebody else, he wouldn't have stepped into the moment of destiny that was right in front of him. And David steps up to the plate. And you know, he kills Goliath. And he's recognized. He is looked at. 
Who is this kid? Who is this warrior? You can read it on. Who is this one that knows how to worship on a harp and that even demons flee? Where did he get that? He got it in a field, worshiping the king. Worshiping the Lord. He got that by loving God that he was able to do things. And then we see later on, the people come and anoint him to be king over Israel. Loving God, moments of destiny. Walking in the vision and the plan of God. You don't know really where I've come from. In my community, we were devastated. We didn't know God. We didn't. We couldn't get a job with the name of our community. There was a community shame because of heroin. There was a, a community and family shame because of HIV. You didn't see a hope. You didn't see a future. Our young people were dying at 34 years of age. Some of them only had that. We buried over 400 people. A whole generation wiped out. You don't have longevity of thinking when you're seeing death all around you. And then I was, I was just into myself. I, was just, I, was, I wouldn't talk to people. I would get stoned and just sit in a room. Sharon would pay me money to go out and socialize with my own family. Because I was just so selfish and so inward looking. And I don't know about you, but when you're inward looking, all you find is death. I never found God as a plan and a purpose for your life. I found I'm nothing and a nobody. Not going to go anywhere. I used to read atlases when I was a kid. I loved atlas. I loved, loved the seas of the world, the oceans of the world, the lands of the world. I loved them as a kid. Where here I was, 22 years of age, between 18 to 22, with nothing and no, and, and no future. And Jesus broke in. And I fell in love with Jesus. Here, here was the night, 22nd of March, Tuesday night, 22nd of March, 1989, about 9.40 in the National Stadium in Dublin City. Myself and Sharon went to hear Reinhard Bonnke. That was the time we gave our lives to the Lord. You know what's crazy? Someone took a photograph of it. That was 27 years ago. Someone took a photograph of it. Ten years later, they gave us a blown-up photograph of me and Sharon with a group of people, and you could see me and Sharon giving our life to the Lord. We were only about this size at that time. We've grown a bit since then. <laughs> we fell in love. I didn't know anything. I'd never been to church. I'd never read the Bible. Never been to a Bible study. Never walked out of that place. Sharon, we need to tell everybody this. We'd found where the bread was. And we need to tell the rest of the hungry people where to go to get the bread. Right. We found the jewels. We found the diamonds. We need to tell them who the field is. And we didn't know anything. But we've fallen in love. We goes back. Went to church, found a great church in St. Mark's. The Assemblies of God missionary planted that church. They loved us, cared for us. We got healed up there. People started speaking into our lives there. I'm at home in the flats. We lived in these, in this, you would call them projects, but they're apartments. And uh, they're all on top of each other, and everyone knows each other. We say we live in each other's ear. If there's something going on, we're going to know, and the whole neighborhood's going to know. And I'd wake up at night hearing my neighbors fighting. And I'd go out to the sitting room, the Spirit of God would be upon me, and I'd be weeping and weeping for my community. Weeping over people that had died and the families that were left behind. And, 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 and it was heavy. Sharon would tell us she'd come out, and I'd be, I'd be on my face before the Lord, weeping. 
and weeping. And one day I was walking in from town, and myself and Sharon were going into the flats, and two girls, a girl was walking by, and Sharon says, how is such and such a girl that was in the hospital? who had HIV AIDS, another one of our young girls. And she says, do you not hear about her? She's only three days to live. And I walked away from Sharon to go into the, the, the apartment because I couldn't, I couldn't stand listening to this stuff because it was just too much. And I knew that that's where my brothers, three brothers, we buried as a result, I buried as a result of this stuff. So I didn't want to go there because of, I just didn't want to visit that pain. I didn't want to go near it. So I walked away and I went into the house and of all things, I, I was having a shave before Sharon came, just getting the bit spruced up. And I looked into the mirror, listening to a song by a Welshman. It says, Lord, heal through me, feel through me, weep through me. And the Holy Spirit fell upon me and I ended up on my knees just weeping and weeping like a million plus tears. Not for me, but for my community. And I pulled down my Bible and I opened where I had finished my reading that morning. It was in Luke chapter 5. And a leper comes to Jesus and he says, Jesus, if you're willing, will you make me whole? And Jesus reaches out to him and see him reaching to Jesus and Jesus reaching to him. Within that just touched us, just the kingdom of God is, is manifest and he's healed. And the Lord says, come on, we do something about this now. And I got up off that ground with a capacity to love a community. I was just loving God. I was just, just happy to be saved and go to heaven. And out of it, God gives you a love for people and a heart for a community. And that was great, but that kept growing. The Lord says to me one day, I want you to take 10 pegs and I want you to stretch them out to the other ends of the community. I'm not just giving you this little place. I'm going to give you the capacity to love bigger and broader. Four years ago, he brought me up to the, to the city gates in Dublin. He says, Noel, do you want to win a, a, a city for the kingdom of God? I don't know how to win a city of God. So what am I doing? I'm just walking in love with Jesus. Because right. I don't know. And I'm trusting that he will open the door just like he did for David and for many people here. We end up now these days, we've been given five acres of land in a place called Azoto in Africa, in South Africa, where we get to build houses, not an orphanage, but houses for orphans. We get to employ local moms and dads from the village to be able to be, give a parent to these kids. 125,000 HIV AIDS orphan kids roam the streets and cities of Lesotho. How does God take someone from that place I described to releasing people around the world? I don't know, but I'll tell you this. I'd know five-year plan or 10-year plan or 20-year plan because if I did, I would have capped it off right. oh. way back. But I'm leaving my life open. Say, God, wherever, whenever, to whoever. And I know from being a pastor long enough, that can be the scariest thing you could ever say. But I want to tell you, God wants to give you an adventure. There's giants to be slayed, and there's cities to be possessed, and there's vineyards to be drank from. And those who will love him and go into the moments that he's creating will experience the plan of God for our lives. To quote Tupac, that great prophet, He says, I mightn't change the world, but I'm hoping to inspire those who will change the world. And I know there's people here and God has spoke to you. You've let her go. You've given her up. There's been opposition. 
Here's a word for you that God gave me sitting there. Persistence overcomes resistance every time. Persistence. God said it. I'm going to keep going, aren't I? You wouldn't believe in my community at the beginning the amount of people that came against us. We knew nothing. We were just loving people. The religious people came against, lied about us. I remember sitting beside, two, uh, in front of two religious people that were in a denomination. And I says, I'll tell you this. I'll outstay you and I'll outpray you. Because these are my people. This is not, I'm not a blow-in from out there that's going to get another job somewhere else. This is my people. God spoke to me. I'll outstay it and I'll outpray. And you know what? I've outstayed him and I've outprayed him. Why? Because with the call of God, he gives you strength to persist. And persistence overcomes resistance ultimately. You will feel resistance, but you will overcome it. Talking about destiny moments in the job, one of my friends, Jason Rafferty, hero, he got a job in a, in a, in a, in a homeless situation, two sides of the, of the work that he was in, one housed um, heroin addicts, active users, and the other side was for people with mental health issues. People that have been institutionalized for some of them for 20, 30 years. And he got a job in this place. Jason is an amazing sensitivity to the Holy Spirit. I was in a meeting. We started a church. Oh, yeah, by the way, that, them little people in that little community, God has allowed us to plant three churches in communities that have been ravaged like us. And now there's establishment of God's work in those places. And we were out in our church planting Bray at the beginning. And we were reaching out new people. And this guy, Jay, he says, no, I'll have, have something from God. And I've learned to trust Jason. I, he says, do you want to know what it is? Which I never really ask him because I want to get it when everyone else is getting it. He had a word of knowledge that um, he said God was tugging on his left ear. I says, okay. He says, is there anyone here that is deaf in their left ear? Two people there for the first time stood up and says, on both sides of the building, we can't hear, and went home healed. He gets this job. Do you know what God says to him? Just worship me, Jason. Because he's seen the devastation in these people's lives. How do I help? Just love on me, Jason. Just worship me. Just know that I'm separate. Know that I'm bigger. Know that I'm holy. Know that I stand out in the magnificence and the radiance of who I am. And he goes through that place. And Jason, he, I'm not saying he was walking through singing songs all the time. But knowing Jason, he probably was. He had led 40 of those people to Jesus. Amen. Some of them were only days left without him knowing on their life. Loving God. God opening moments of opportunity. And before you know it, you're walking in his plans. Love God. In finishing, I wanted to share what I, I felt the Lord say to me when Brad and Beth was talking about the first, um, the, in the first service about the uninvited. In Exodus, Moses hears from God these words that I spoke. He brings the people out of Egypt. They reckon between 1.5 and 2 million people left Slavery, 400 years of slavery. They bring them to the Red Sea. How am I going to get across this? Well, God will make a way for you. 
You walk it out, he'll work it out. You just keep loving him and, and, and listening to him, and he'll open the doors that need to be open. He can even give Pharaoh dreams. Pharaoh still dreams. He, he, can, he can get us there. He's committed to us. They get there and the sea opens. You know the story. They get to the other side. Read this. I think it's the greatest, one of the greatest scripture. When Miriam, Moses' sister, grabs the tambourine, and the Bible says that she grabs the tambourine and starts playing and singing to the Lord, play, playing and dancing, and all the women join with her. Now, I don't know about you, but like, let's say there was a quarter of that two million that was women. That's 500,000 women. Grab tambourines. Miriam grabs it and she's like, all the single ladies, all the single ladies, put your hands up, put your hands up. 500,000 women grab it and they're all like this. You know, now listen, 500,000 women playing, making sounds, banging their feet, dancing. No wonder their enemies in the rest of the countries were afraid of them. Because they heard the sound being released of people who were loving God, who, who were walking with God, and God was moving them into their destiny. And the enemies in the other cities, in the other places, were terrified. Well, I'd be terrified if I heard 500,000 women declaring their destiny. That's why the enemy wants to keep you down. But here's the thing. Where did they get the tambourines? My friend who was a revival historian and a musical historian, his name is Ray. He was a guy from, um, I'm going to be with him actually on Monday. And he, he, he discovered in his studies that the, the tambourine wasn't a Jewish instrument. It was an Egyptian instrument. But it wasn't like the way we see it now. It was like, here's where it came from. It wasn't even an instrument. Where it came from was that in Egypt, that, um, the people that were oppressed, the, um, they, the women of the houses, that the, women of, the Hebrew women were slaves, the women of the household would have this thing like this, it was all little bars going across and little timbrels on it that makes it sound like a tambourine. And it was on a long, on a long stick. And this is what it was used for. It was used to shut people down. That if two Hebrew women or Hebrew men were talking, they'd come over and they'd just shake it in their face. You've nothing to say. You're a nobody. That you don't have a place. They didn't have a flag. They didn't have a language. They didn't have symbols of their, of their nation. 400 years of oppression will mess with your psyche. And they had this and you shut them down. So you can imagine, how did they get from the, the, the Egyptian women's house to the other side of the Red Sea? So you can imagine with me, when they were leaving the household of Egypt, you know what the Bible says? That they were given stuff. They were given linen and fine cloth and jewelry. And that was used in gold and that was used to make the tabernacle and, and, and all that stuff in, in the desert. You can imagine them going and the lady of the house saying, and you want anything else? And you can imagine all the Hebrew women going, oh yes, I'll have that off the mantelpiece, please. I will take that thing. And they took the things that oppressed them, and when they got out on the other side of following God and God moving them into their destiny, they turned what was an instrument of oppression into an instrument of praise. That they were, yeah, God is great. And this is what God says about the Bible study. And I believe he's given us a choice. You want to have a ladies' Bible study or you want to have a ladies' movement? And I believe leadership wants me. What does that mean? That means I'm not sitting at home going, I'm not going to the Bible study. 
means I don't want to give myself there. That's a Bible study. A movement is God has given us something. He's letting us sow something into a nation. I'm giving my life, I'm giving my time, I'm giving my energy, I'm giving my all into this. Because listen, in, in, in Daniel, God took a stone and knocked down the whole statue. Do you remember? And then the stone grows into a mountain. Only God can take a stone and plant it and grow a mountain. God can take a Bible study, a women's Bible study, and grow a movement. And I believe it's up to you guys. I believe that God will give you, you just walk on loving him and he'll open the doors for you. I believe that around my heart. Can we stand, please? Lord, we love you. We thank you. I just ask for strength, Father. Because we need your strength for persistence that overcomes resistance. We just ask, Lord, that you download that, Lord, into our heart, oh God. We just open up, Lord. Romans 5, 5 says this. The hope does not disappoint us. That God has poured out his love into our hearts by the power of the Holy Spirit, which he's given to us. The word pour means it does an incessant flow. It never stops of God's love being poured out, poured out, poured out, poured out. And love changes everything. In fact, we can only really love God because we've experienced his love. We love him because he first loved us. So somehow the depth and the width and the breadth and the length and the height of the love that we love God with is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth of the love that we've received. So would you just open your heart up to the Lord and say, Lord, will you pour in? Pour in, Lord. Let your love reach areas of my heart, my life that's not experienced your love. Let the kingdom expand within me so I can bring the kingdom to expansion outside of me. Lord, let love free me up so I can love you freely and love others freely. Just receive it. His love heals. His love breaks through. His love brings strength. His love brings trust issues to an end. Love does lift us up where we belong. Love does change everything. So we receive it, Father. And I pray that you would come, Jesus, and sweep us off of our feet. That there would be a falling in love afresh with who you are. And what you want us to do will come out of that. And if you're not serving anywhere and waiting on some of the fullness of God's will, serve in the church. Serve somewhere so that God can pull you out of that place. Lord, I pray that a movement of people would come out of this place called Faith Chapel that would rock our world. That, Lord, that as we're loving you, you would download ideas, songs, books, ministries, places, faces, spaces. That, Lord, that you would download business ideas, breakthroughs in medical world, IT world, oh God, cures for diseases, Lord. As we're loving you, Lord, would you just download them things into our hearts? Cause Faith Chapel to impact the world, oh God.
You think that's small? Do you think that? Look, I'm from a little flat 189 Dolphin House, Dublin A. And I'm in America today, and I'm sending teams out to Africa. Hello. God wants you to impact the world. And we say amen, and I pray, yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Because you know who you have here, Lord. Father, I thank you for the days that they will be doing deployment services. Sending people out by the tens, the twenties, even the hundreds into this world, oh God, to carry what you placed on this house. Father, every instrument of oppression that the enemy has used, twist it today, Lord. Turn it today, Lord. Turn it, Lord. Turn it in every heart. No, I'm going to use that. And that will be used as my testimony to the King of Kings. That I will take up my, my tambourine. I will take up that instrument. And I will give glory to God in Jesus' name.